This week, we're continuing a series that Pastor Matt started last week called Pursuit. And really, it's about uh, uh, how do we pursue God in the context of our relationships, of marriage, and with regard to, to sex in general, too. And this week, we're, we're going to kind of focus in on the topic. But last week, what, what Matt did is he uh, kind of posed the question, what are you pursuing? Insinuating that we're all pursuing something. You know, whether you're doing it on purpose or you're just kind of coasting, like you're, you're pursuing something. And more specifically, he dialed into what does God want us to pursue? Especially in the context of our relationships. What does God want us to pursue? And he used this one passage um, in Matthew. It's kind of our anchor text for the series. And so I wanted to look at it again uh, real quick. It says this. It says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you what you need. And in this passage, um, I think this is a perfect kind of anchor for our, our series because we're talking about a lot of different kinds of relationships, whether it's with people that we know and love or whether people we're married to or, or maybe engaged to or in a long-term uh, relationship with. And I think in the context of this uh, uh, scripture, there's three ideas or words or concepts that kind of stand out to me. The first is the idea of seeking. Um, and seek is, is, a, is like an action word. Um, and even before that, because I kind of skipped this, um, how I want to contextualize this today um, is we're going to be talking about marriage. And more specifically, uh, I think it's, it's better to refine that, that question, what does God want us to pursue uh, into this? What does God, uh, or what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God in your marriage? Because the pursuit that we're talking about, the seeking the kingdom of God, is that pursuit and so if that's what we're supposed to be pursuing, that's what we're supposed to be going after, how do we do that in the context of our marriage, right? What does that look like? Because there's a lot of uh, uh, difficult things to, to, there's a lot of concepts in this, like the kingdom of God. And it, it, maybe that's not something you're readily, you know, understanding. If you understand the color red, that's a concept that makes sense, right? You got that. And what I hope to do today is to maybe give you some handles on these concepts that might seem a little foreign or difficult to understand, so that we might actually uh, uh, use them and understand them in the context of our relationships. And so, like I was saying, there are three concepts in that verse that we referenced that I think are going to help guide our conversation today. Um, and even before we jump into this, let me, let me just say up front, we did not like book the, ma the marriage expert today, so I'm sorry about that. We booked the guy who's like struggling along with you guys and is on the same journey with you. So uh, while I'm preaching, I'm also preaching to myself. So I'm hoping this becomes a conversation we can use together instead of, so hear this not from a, you should be doing this, here's how you, you know, ace your marriage and 10 steps to a perfect marriage. That's not what today's about, sorry. Um, what today's about is how do we take this concept of pursuing the kingdom of God in our marriage, and what does that look like? That sound good? All right, there's three concepts I want to talk about from that, that passage. The first is the concept of seeking, the concept of seeking. The idea of seeking is kind of that, that's what's connected to that pursuit idea, that it's active. You know, it's not, you don't accidentally seek something. If you're playing hide-and-go-seek, you don't count to ten and be like, what am I supposed to be doing? No, you know you're supposed to go after somebody. You're going intentionally. It's an intention you have to seek and find something. There's almost like a desperation to it. Like if something, someone, if you think about a movie, if someone's seeking something out, it's a very active, it's very passionate, even kind of a desperate uh, uh, action, you know, the thing that they're employing uh, there. So seek is a very active idea. It's a very intentional idea. The second is that idea of the kingdom of God, the idea of the kingdom of God, which can seem kind of like 
out there. Like, it's a very big concept to get your hands around. Y'all, y'all with me on that? Nod your head if you're with me. It's kind of difficult to understand, like, okay, well, what does that have to do with my marriage? And you're not alone because the people that Jesus was speaking to uh, in his time when he would refer to the kingdom of God, they totally missed the boat on what he meant. What they, when they heard him say kingdom of God, they heard like Jesus is the king of the world. Like he's coming to sit on a literal throne to take over and be president of the world. I mean, they didn't use president, you know what I'm saying. To be the king over all, like a physical governing entity. Y'all with me? That, when they heard kingdom of God, that's what they thought. And that's not at all what Jesus had in mind. Even his disciples, a lot of them had that concept in their mind. Like they were ready like, okay, when do we like take over? Like when does that happen? In fact... You'll see here uh, in Luke 17, some of the Pharisees who were like the like really religious people, like the people who really knew what was going on, they were the ones who liked the memberships of like the church, like they were the ones who were like over the stuff, right, the Pharisees. And they kind of wanted to try and catch Jesus and like, okay, well, when is this happening? Like they're kind of being snarky about it. He said, uh, they said, one day the Pharisees asked, Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Like they wanted an answer, like what's the day, what's the time so we can have the program and all the things, right? Uh, but Jesus goes on to respond this way. He says, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. What he says is, for the kingdom of God is already among you. The kingdom of God is not an established rule and reign on earth in a physical, corporeal way. What it is, is it's an already and continuing to be uh, 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 existence for those who believe in Christ. It's a reigning and ruling of Jesus over and in our lives that expresses itself in the way that we live and the way that we treat one another and that Jesus would have a kingdom of God among his believers, among the body of believers. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. So that's kind of what we're talking about is how do we establish a kingdom of God so that it might be in heaven or it might be on earth as it is in heaven through us. That's what we mean by a kingdom of God. And the third idea that we're really focusing in on today is that idea of marriage, right? And what is marriage? I mean, there's like a million definitions, and I don't know if you've been like paying attention to the world recently, but there's like a lot of ways people like to interpret what marriage is. Marriage is this, marriage is that. It's me, it's this to me. And we've created this environment where like it's okay for you to think one thing and you to think another thing, and we're all right. Everything's the same, like it's this, which is not helpful at all. So for me personally, what I think is most helpful is instead of what I believe or what you believe, we need to understand what God thinks in that. And I actually grew up in a church where um, my pastor would use this phrase a lot of times where he would say, if God created it, then he alone gets to define it. If God created it, then he alone gets to define it. So I think that would be helpful for us to apply with the concept of marriage. And so what does the Bible say about that? So in Genesis 2, it starts by saying this, and this might feel like a, a wedding for a quick second, because if you've ever been to a wedding, like, these are the, the things they like to throw out as like during the ceremony, you with me? So, so stay with me. So Genesis 2, it says this, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And I use this version, this, this translation, because I think that phrase hold fast is really, really important when it comes to the, the, like, the way a marriage lives itself out, especially, and for those in the room who are married, um, especially in those first couple years of marriage, you know, where you're kind of going off on your own uh, and becoming this new thing, if you choose to not hold fast to one another and you let go and you choose to go back to things that are comfortable, like your mother and your father, th- like that's kind of what it's insinuated here, your, your comfort place, that can cause a lot of problems in your marriage. You with me? The holding fastness to one another is a very, very important element to this. So to hold fast to his wife, and they shall... 
become one flesh. We're going to see a theme with this. And it goes on. In Matthew, Jesus says, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God in your marriage is the question we're, we're trying to answer. And I think what we're seeing time and time again over and over, the theme, and if you hear me say nothing else today, hear me say this. Marriage is about oneness. Marriage is about oneness. That's the whole point. If you boil it down, like, there's a lot of things to that. Like, there's a lot of additions and like, pieces that are also valid and also good. But when you boil it down to its most essential essence, marriage is about oneness. To put it another way in the context of what we're saying today, to seek the kingdom in your marriage is to pursue oneness. That's the handle I want you to grab onto. If you want to seek the kingdom of God, like that passage of Matthew you've been looking at, that pursuit, if you want to seek the kingdom of God in your marriage, the way you do that is you pursue oneness. And I was even trying to put some words to this too about like, well, what is marriage? Like have an idea of a, a construct, maybe to simplify it for us to, to use as kind of a part of our conversation today. And this is what I came up with. That marriage is an expression of God's perfect love in or through a relationship with imperfect people. It's an expression of God's perfect love through relationships with imperfect people. And the first part of that is that it's God's love. It's God's love that's available to each of us. It's not just love, but perfect love, that no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, that that perfect love exists for you and around you and in you. It's not conditional on what you've done or how many good decisions you've made, or all the church services you've been to. It doesn't matter. It's God's perfect love. And that marriage is involving two imperfect people, which can you, you already knew that. If you're married, you already know that. Um, but the imperfectness of one another is part of the deal. It's inherent in that relationship. And the way that uh, uh, God's love is, is expressed in that is through the relationship. And the relationship is the oneness. That's the two different things becoming one. The two separate, completely individual, original things coming together to making a new thing. It's God's perfect love expressed through a relationship with imperfect people. And I think you might have even, if you've been married or, or you, once you've been married, maybe as you're leading up into marriage, maybe the idea of oneness is uncomfortable. Maybe that's one of the reasons why you've pushed it off because you don't want a oneness. Like, I like me. I'm good with me. I got my stuff. I don't need something else. Or maybe I don't need a man. I don't need an extra thing. I've got my thing, and he can be a part of my thing, but he's not. Y'all with me? So, or y'all know somebody. Maybe you know somebody who's sitting next to you. You know somebody who this is a struggle for them, that idea of oneness. But what I want to encourage you to think about is when we talk about oneness, oneness is not sameness. It's not like this unique thing and this unique thing or have to be identical to become one. Does that make sense? It's actually a good thing that this thing is its own unique, beautiful thing, and this is its own unique, beautiful thing, but they come together to make something brand new in oneness. So oneness is not sameness. In fact, that'd be really boring. It'd be really boring. It's a good thing that it's two very different things. And I had this idea this week, when I was thinking about this, of, I play music a lot, and there's a lot of notes. Like, there's a lot of notes you can play on this thing, right? And you can, that sounds fine on its own, and you can, like, lots of cool things you can play there, but if you put them together, it's a whole different thing that was never 
close to that by itself. And it's a good thing that the two become one because it's a new thing that's unique. They're not the same. They're very different. But you put them together, and it's, of course, a brand new thing. So oneness is not sameness. Oneness is not sameness. Last week, Matt talked a little bit to kind of give us a framework of how to think through this pursuit of how we pursue the kingdom of God in our relationships. He talked about how our decisions will determine our direction, and in turn, our direction will determine our destination, where we want to end up. Decisions determine our direction, and then our direction determines our destination. If our destination is a marriage that honors God and glorifies God and is a picture of what God wants, the oneness, marriage is about oneness, y'all with me? If that's our destination, then our decisions really weigh heavily on what we experience over here in a destination. Nod your head if you're with me. And so to put it in a way that I think is helpful for us, I said it like this. Every decision, every decision, every decision you make either moves you closer to or further from oneness. Every decision you make either moves you closer to or further from oneness. So to continue that idea, to seek the kingdom in your marriage is to daily decide to pursue oneness in your marriage. Daily decide. That's the kicker, man, because I am really bad at being consistent. I don't know if you're like me. Like, I have really good intentions. Like, that destination is a place I want to get to, but my decisions are constantly something I'm having to struggle and fight with to aim myself in the direction to get to my destination. Is anybody with me? This is a part of our existence of being imperfect people. It's just a part of our existence. So in order for us to seek the kingdom in our marriages, the way that we're going to be able to do that is to daily decide to pursue, pursue oneness in our marriage. And I thought it'd be helpful to, to talk through maybe a couple of practical applications, things you could even start doing today in your marriage to experience oneness. So three ways to pursue oneness in your marriage. And don't hear this as like a conclusive list, like these are the only three things you need to be doing, because that's not true. Um, or even like the top three things. This is more like, a, in my experience, what I've seen, what I've seen in, in the people around me. These are three things that I think even like starting today you could be doing to pursue oneness in your, in your relationship. And this is like a thing where you could squeeze a person's hand next to you, like when you find their thing, you know what I'm saying? And this might be even a good conversation point for you, because to be real honest, I'm not up here to like spout off a couple cool words from the Bible. Like, I don't really care about that. What I care about is hopefully helping all of us, myself included, to take parts of what God is calling us to be and do, in this case, in the context of marriage, and then take these, these, these pieces we can glean from that, from the text, and actually carry it out in our lives. So maybe this is a point of conversation for you guys later. So the first thing that I thought of was to communicate with not just two. Someone just squeezed a hand. Communicate with not just two. And this is one that I especially struggle with. Because it's a very, it's a subtle difference, but it is a big difference. Nod your head if you're with me. Communicating with someone is where you're listening to them. You're engaging to, together. What you, you're acknowledging what they have to say or what they have to communicate to you has value. When you're communicating to someone, you're saying, you're going to listen to me. I'm going to tolerate what's happening here so you can then hear what I have to say, right? A lot of times this can happen in a discussion, arguments, right? It can also happen in daily life. 
Like, it can be a thing where, like, you're choosing to disengage. Uh, if you've got young kids at home, this can happen on a regular basis, because I don't know if you'll notice, but, like, it's crazy with young kids at home, and so you can have a lot of schedules going on. It's no longer just you and wifey figuring stuff out. It's no longer just you and the hubby figuring out, oh, when are we doing date night this week? No, 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 no. We have school homework, and we got soccer practice, and we got basketball, and we got dance, and we got... It's, am I relating with anybody today? Because this is a real experience that we have, and if we choose to disengage... It can just be your spouse communicating to you and you're not communicating with them. And that can be very frustrating. And what that does is that's you disengaging in that communication process is a decision to move you further from oneness. Because that person's going to feel you just communicating, communicating to one another, not with one another. So it can be in those daily moments back and forth where you're communicating with one another. It's especially helpful in those trying moments, in those hard moments, in those discussions, in those arguments that we have. If we can move away from, and I'm preaching to myself right now, if you can move away from communicating to someone and you can move towards communicating with someone, that's moving you towards oneness. You see that? Communicate with, not just communicating to. The second one is submit to each other. Submit to each other. And this is a section, if, as, you know, if, you kinda caught, if you've been in church for a while, and you know we're talking about marriage today, you knew this was coming up and you were probably like clenched up, and especially if you had a bad experience with this. And we're actually going to read a, a passage together in a second. If you want to pull your Bibles out, uh, we've been talking about this all year long, we want to be reading together. So if you want to pull your Bibles out, we're going to read Ephesians 5. This is going to be verse 21 through 33. And originally I was just going to read the first verse, but I think it's important to have context around all of it. And unfortunately, this passage that was meant for good, that was meant to create a beautiful and healthy relationship, has been used by a lot in the church for a long time to be a hammer out of context, especially towards women. Now, I'm not especially talented and gifted. I'm not going to dive into those sections today because I'm not a great authority on teaching on this. Maybe someone else would be. Um, but I do think it's healthy and, and good for us to breathe in the word of God together. And where I wanted to land on this is the very first, before it even gets to the minutia of a man and wife together, there's a very simple and very clear instruction at the beginning. So this is starting in verse 21, Ephesians 5. It says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Full stop. Before it gets into anything else, he, uh, the authors just referred to uh, the work of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And as a result of you living this out, submit, the way this happens is you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because they're your wife, not because they're your husband, not because you like them, not because they've done nice things for you, but you do it because of reverence for who Christ is in your life. That your sonship, your daughtership, and the kingdom of God comes before your identity as a husband or a wife. Do you see that? You're not submitting to them because they have an authority over you. You're submitting to them because of reverence for Christ. In fact, the word that's used for submit through this passage is a word that does not connotate... Do we have any pro wrestling fans in the house, or is it just me? That's cool. It can be just me. That's fine. But I grew up with my brother, too, and we would wrestle all the time, right? And part of wrestling is you try and either pin the guy, or what? You try and get him to... Tap out. you got to get him to submit, right? And I'm enforcing that, trying to get him to tap out. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about that kind of submission where you're putting a force on top of someone else. No. 
This is a willing and voluntary, like, letting go of your authority of another person or in a situation. You're volunteering, voluntarily letting go of whatever power you have in a situation. Why? Out of reverence to Christ. You see that? With that in mind, it continues on. It says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And that's really important. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means to love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. And no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And he hammers this home again. He says, and we are members of his body. It's putting our identity in Christ above our identity as a spouse before even all those things. We are a member of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that, the, that Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this submission is a mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ, understanding you're a part of the body of Christ. And that last section, that last verse where it says, so I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, leads me to my third way that we can pursue oneness in marriage, and that is to express love and respect. And there's a whole book about this, maybe you've read it before, um, and it's a great concept. They do a great, uh, the author does a great job of kind of creating, taking from this, this concept uh, from the scripture and expounding on it to where it's boiling it down to a very, very uh, basic point. It's that men are craving the respect from their wives and wives would be craving that love from their husband. Now, do not hear me say that only men need respect and only women need love. That's not true. But there is something to that cycle of as a man loves his wife, a wife will respect her husband and there's a symbiotic relationship between those two things that in, when it comes down to it is leading towards that oneness, right? That's the point of marriage. The point of marriage is that oneness and that there's that interchange between love and respect. And it's not conditional. Because when I read back over that section, it doesn't say, so again I say each man must love his wife when she's cool to him and, he, and the wife must respect her husband when he does good things around the house. You with me? Or let me take it a step further. Each man must love his wife when she chooses to honor the way he wants to do things in the household. Or the wife must respect her husband even when he doesn't make great choices. It's not conditional. It's not you act a certain way and you'll get love. You be a certain way and you'll get respect. The idea of oneness is that it's unconditional, which is incredibly hard. Because what do we say? It's, it's God's perfect love expressed through a relationship with what? Imperfect people. What do imperfect people do? We sin. We get things wrong. We fall short. We lie. We steal. We hurt. We're unfaithful. We're unkind. We're downright nasty to each other. And even in those moments, 
We must daily decide to pursue, pursue oneness together in our marriage. And the way that we do that, one of the ways we can do that is to express love and express respect. So again, kind of all three of these ideas, we're, we're talking about communicating with someone, not just to someone. We're talking about submitting to one another. We're talking about expressing love and respect for one another. And maybe one of these is something that would lead to a great conversation between you and your spouse later. Or just something you're keeping in mind as you might be leading to marriage down the road of, of these are things that we need to be doing to pursue that oneness with one another. And so, to, again, to say this another way, we got to remember that every decision, every decision we make is either leading us closer to or further from oneness. That's why our decisions matter. Our decisions are important. However, we are imperfect people. And I don't care how disciplined you are. I don't care how kind you are. I don't care how good you are at like doing stuff your spouse likes or whatever it might be. You're going to fail. Like that is our existence. We're imperfect people. And the quicker you realize that, that it's not about how good you are or how smart you are or how like great you are at like even being around the house or like getting the honeydew list done or all those things. Like that doesn't matter because ultimately in the, the day we're going to fail. We're going to fall short. And we've been using this, this framework of to seek oneness in our marriage is to daily decide to pursue oneness in our marriage. And I feel like we're close, but we're missing something. There's a piece missing in this. And I think the piece that's missing is it's relying way too much on me to daily decide because I'm not going to. I'm going to fall short. I'm going to make regretful decisions. I'm going to be a bonehead. You're going to be rude. Like it's going to happen. Nod your heads if you're with me. It can't rely on us and us alone and our efforts because we're going to fail. But for me, it, it just turns me back to that theme verse we've been looking at because even from the beginning of this, God's been providing the way for us. So again, in Matthew 6, it says this. It says, seek the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing, right? That's what God's calling us to do. Seek the kingdom of God. In this case, we're talking about seeking the kingdom of God in our marriage, and above, uh, or above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. He's saying, do this, and this will happen. That's what's it's being said here. In a simpler way, we're being called to obey. We obey, and he provides. We obey. We seek the kingdom in our marriage, which is to seek oneness. Y'all see that? We do that, and he will provide the way for us to do so. But how, do, how? Like, how does that even happen? Because, like, I thought we just said it wasn't about us and our trying and our actions. And it's not because the word tells us it's not about us striving and seeking. In fact, the, guy, uh, the Bible tells us that we have someone who comes alongside us to comfort, to encourage, to sustain us. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the missing element in this because we see this in Romans 8. It says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our imperfectness. That when we aren't enough, when we fail, when we fall short, when we can't do things, which is always, the Holy Spirit helps us. And it gives an example here. It says, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groaning that cannot be expressed. Maybe another example is, we don't know how to fix our marriage, but the Holy Spirit's working behind the scenes. We don't know how to be a more calm person in our arguments and our discussions, but the Holy Spirit does. In fact, you might be saying to yourself, well, Chris, I'm not gentle. I'm not calm. 
He is. I'm not thoughtful. Well, he is. I'm not secure enough in myself. Well, he is. I'm not loving. Well, he is. I'm not faithful. Well, he is. He is. And even in the times where you aren't able to be those things, where you can't find the strength or the courage to make those daily decisions, to pursue oneness, he is there to sustain you because our call is to obey. We obey and God provides. We obey and God provides. So to seek the kingdom in your marriage is to daily decide to pursue oneness, but to do that by the Holy Spirit. It's not about you trying harder or reading more books or having a family meeting once a week. Those are all good things. Those are all great daily decisions, but the way that we will be able to sustain this over the long run, over the course of your marriage, over the course of you two becoming one day by day by day is by the Holy Spirit because marriage is about oneness. Marriage is about oneness, about two unique, beautiful individuals becoming one together. And it's even said in the scripture, it's, it's a mystery. It doesn't make sense. But it's an illustration of how Christ loves a church. And even before all things, before you're a husband, before you're a wife, before you're a son or a daughter of any, anything here on earth, you are a son or a daughter of God. And that's where our identity has to rest. And that's where our confidence has to rest. That as we pursue oneness in our marriages, it's not because we're going to be good enough people, religious enough people, Christian enough people, It's because we submit to one another. We're willing to communicate with one another, not just to one another. That we're able to give love and respect and also receive those things because it can be really hard to receive those if you haven't had them in a long time. And so I pray for, for each and every one of you the marriages in this room, of those watching online, of those hearing this later, that, that this is a reality that can come for us. And there's ebbs and flows. There's ups and downs. Like, that's life. But the goal is not to be perfect. We are imperfect. The goal is that we would choose to daily decide to pursue oneness in our marriage, and we are sustained in doing that by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, we will experience oneness, day by day, decision by decision, because as our decisions determine our direction, that direction will determine our destination, which is oneness, not just with one another, but with the Father. And when that happens, an abundance flows from that. An abundance flows from that. Watch what happens, and, and it's not, I'm not trying to tell you like, this is the one fix for your, all your problems. Like, that's not what is being promised here. What's being promised here is if you seek the kingdom, what does the scripture say? That he will provide everything that you need. He will sustain you, not yourself. So that is what we rest in, that marriage is about oneness, and God's providing a way to sustain that oneness for us. So I pray that for you, I pray that for myself. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for your word the promises that stand through all tests and trials, God, that in good times and hard times that we can know this to be true, that, God, your design for marriage is something that is mysterious, that doesn't make sense, that it shouldn't make sense that people can have this kind of unique bond, this, this, this oneness. 
But God, it's just an image, it's a picture, it's an illustration of your love for your church. God, that you would display your perfect love through imperfect people is irrational. It doesn't make any sense, but we're grateful for it. And God, I pray for those in this room who are, who are in marriages right now, who, who want to experience more oneness, who want to take steps towards that, that they would choose to daily decide to pursue that oneness through the Holy Spirit. That you would be the one who sustains them. You're the one who sets the course. But God, that we would show our obedience through daily decisions. God, I pray for the marriages that are struggling, that this is so far of a concept that they don't even want to hear me talk right now. God, that you provide opportunities for conversation, for healing, for growth. God, that you would soften hearts, that you would give peace and understanding. But more importantly, God, that you would just give them a taste of that oneness and a reminder of what once was or what could be and that by your Holy Spirit working in and through them, you would, you would heal and you would restore and you would redeem. So we trust you and we're grateful for your word. We pray all this in your name. Amen.